There is no question about it that when it comes to climate justice, there has to be some conversations about the racial divides, who is affected, how much, you know, are some people disadvantaged, and what can be done to change this narrative. That's the conversation I have with Days Adaji on this episode of the Climate Talk podcast. Uh, Days is just, you know, 21 years old and uh, pretty interesting profile. At 21 years old, she's, you know, a world-renowned climate justice activist, a political candidate uh, who ran for office. Uh, and of course, she's a student also studying history and politics at the Goldsmith University in London. She's British, but her mother is Nigerian, so British-Nigerian was suffice to say that. And um, in 2019, she was the youngest candidate to stand in the EU Parliament elections, and she has strong ties with the Extinction Rebellion group. You must have heard of that group, and you know how extreme uh, some of the approach to climate activism is. Um, quite a lot about this, but I will let that you know do the talking on this episode of the climate talk podcast if you're joining for the first time hey welcome where have you been uh, my name is shay fumi adebote by the way and it's always a pleasure to host this podcast every new episode comes with something new to learn different perspective to the issues of climate change or environmental issues at large and i'm podcasting from abuja nigeria uh thanks to my friend olumide do and jimo and my intern, Yazid, with these three, it is possible for me to bring new episodes to you, especially on this new series that we've just started. Uh, feel free to check out the Climate Talk podcast on the website. It is www.climatetalkpodcast.com. And uh, on Instagram and Facebook, on Instagram and Twitter, sorry, you would find us at Climate Talk Pod with a double D. Climate Talk Pod with a double D on Facebook as well as every other platform where you find your podcast, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere you find podcasts, you would also find the Climate Talk Podcast. Just search for Climate Talk Podcast, three separate words, and there you'll find it. With no further ado, let's get it started. This is a very interesting conversation I had with this Agaji, a climate justice campaigner, and we try to look at the racial divides, the climate divides, and how people are affected. But more than that, what young people especially can do to change the narratives. Welcome on this ride. So, would you like to start by introducing yourself? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, so, I'm Jayza Gargi. I am currently 21 years old and I'm studying history and politics at Goldsmiths University in London. Um, and I'm a climate justice activist. Um, yeah, like my, I, I feel like my work started by accident. Um, I've always had a real love for the environment with growing up partly in the English countryside and um, learning about nature in quite a hands-on way through my house parents at boarding school. Um, but I basically fell into activism quite hard on in 2019, uh, where I 
joined a Extinction Rebellion um, like introduction meeting just because my friend invited me. Um, and that meeting ended up changing the course of my life forever. Um, I ended up joining Extinction Rebellion and starting to work with them full time um, the Monday after the Wednesday that I went on the meeting. And then I helped plan the April Rebellion, which happened in April 2019, which was the one that had the pink boat in central London. Um, and since then, I've worked with Extinction Rebellion um, in various different roles, but also have really found myself in climate activism and lots of different tactics to get the change that I feel that's needed. Um, one of them was running for parliament at 19 um, when I ran for the EU parliament as a London candidate, um, like basically just fighting for um, youth engagement in politics, but also um, with cl the climate and the ecological crisis in mind. Um, but onto loads of other things, like um, I've started working in the social change funding sector and funding young change makers, um, but also doing grassroots work of building communities and holding communities, especially marginalised communities all over the globe um, and under underserved communities all over the globe and helping them connect back to nature and helping them to connect to the issue of climate change and highlighting the connectivity between social justice issues and climate change. That's incredible, this really, really incredible. And it's, it seems like you've done it all lot within just, I mean, less than two years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. But let, let's I know, add, right? I mean, we, there, there are a lot of things we'll talk about. Um, sadly, I can only have as much as a 20 minutes conversation with you on one episode, but I'm very happy mm. to do another episode because this, it, it feels like We'll have a whole lot to discuss, and, and one episode will not just be enough. But let's start by <laughs> um, Extinct Rebellion. You had gone for just a meeting, if I heard you right, and that was mm. what shaped your whole climate activism. Mm, yeah. Now, when I say, like, okay, it was magical, you know, and I feel like there there is no way to, like, explain Extinction Rebellion. You kind of have to live it to really get what it is. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I totally agree. But I mean, what, what I'm even a lot more interested in is um, Extinct Rebellion as a movement. Um, would you like to be specific about what role you play so that I will know, <laughs> so you don't feel like I am attacking the, the, the movement uh, with my next question? What, what's your, <laughs> no, don't uh, worry. I think like... Uh, rebellion. Yeah, I feel like having like opened discussion about movements and what we get wrong and what we get right is is really needed um so i've had multiple roles in extinction rebellion my first role was helping uh, with the startup of extinction rebellion youth at that time i was outreach and logistics coordinator for extinction rebellion youth and then after that i had the role of regenerative culture coordinator for extinction rebellion youth as well um, and then i moved more into xr uh, where i did um like some weaving work which was basically connecting the movement um during action focused time periods um, and then into relationship circle of where I helped build relationships between Extinction Rebellion internally, but also externally with sister movements and also even further externally with other movements and try to focus on healing damaged relationships and bringing XR closer um, to understanding how we can play a part in movement ecology. Um, and throughout this time, like that time, I did a lot of spokespeople work as well for Extinction Rebellion in the UK. 
Um, since December, I no longer hold a role in Extinction Rebellion. However, I think you will always be a rebel uh, when you're part of XR <laughs> and it's, the rebellion lives on in you, you know? <laughs> I love that you will always be a rebel and I think I agree with you because I mean the work of advocacy is very important this is something I have seen in Nigeria if you follow the NSAS protest mm. it felt like that was the most empowering thing for young people and climate advocacy on its mm. own is also huge and Extinct Rebellion being a global environmental movement I think they've been doing quite I mean quite remarkable but it seems to be I mean there have been conversations around they're taking things to the extreme, you know, and saying, ah, these people are not realistic with their um, requests. Uh, people have just thought, I mean, the approach with which Extinction Rebellion has been calling on world leaders to pay attention to environmental mm. issues has not been successful. What do you make of I that? I think that's a little bit of a falsehood. Um, I feel that when, even like before, like when I joined Extinction Rebellion in like the earlier days, no one ever talked about climate change in common discourse. It was something that was heavily forgotten. But once, especially post-April, after that first initial, um, the first initial like spurt of rebellion, we saw everyone talk about the environment and the environmental crisis and the effects on the earth and people. We saw our government in the UK make the first commitment to declare itself in a climate emergency. Uh, and we saw the effects ripple globally with the, like, the sprouting of Extinction Rebellion groups all across the world. Um, and also a, like, a, like a movement of governments saying that they are in a climate emergency and starting to use the language that shows what's happening. So I do think that Extinction Rebellion has made quite a mark stamp on the world um, and I do think that what we're asking for is not crazy when you actually see the the alternative you know like Extinction Rebellion asked for less um, think about how we can become carbon neutral by 2025 in the UK and the reason for this is because the UK we recognize that in this country we are one of the largest pollutants in the world um, and we have to recognize our part to play in the global effort to fight climate change and our part needs to be more urgent since we've got more work to do um you know and i think that when you start seeing it especially as a moral responsibility in connection to things like other social issues like colonialism we need to do better you know and i don't think that's too much to ask for and i think bringing democracy back to the people which is our third demand um through citizens assembly isn't too much either we're only saying that through this crisis this, we have seen what the politicians want us to do and it's not good enough because we are still in this mess you know like 25 cops later <laughs> we are still like not even aiming for like 1.5 degrees in most countries they're actually overshooting on their mm -hmm. carbon budgets on a yearly like yearly they're overshooting um so we are seeing that like bringing it back to the people and the people who hold the answers and having everyone pay an active part of in democracy 
is a good idea for everything, you know, and the first demand is to tell the truth, which I think a lot of truth telling isn't happening because I feel like if we told the truth and the unfiltered truth, the unsugared truth, people would understand why climate change needs to be addressed now and the rest of the actions would not seem so extreme. Let because me, when let you me jump in right there, either, uh, Days. Sorry, let me jump in right mm. there. I mean, being a political student yourself, you know how climate change could be very political right so i mean do you really think and, and like you said there's this whole conversation about the need to you know limit the um to to try to maintain that 1.5 limit projections are showing that most countries still do business as usual and we're clearly mm. not going to meet that target but you've been a political student do you really think uh governments i mean in different countries around the world really have the political will that can drive you know the kind of climate action that the science is saying we should work with but i don't think it's a so so i think this is the thing like when we don't talk about politics enough is when we start asking questions like this because if we go back to the fundamental of democracies it's meant to be people-led and people power they are our representatives and they should be doing what we're asking them to do and when we're asking them to save our environment that sustains our living it shouldn't be a question of whether they can do it it's a question of how they can do it you know, and I think this is where we need to start reframing our discourse around politics and start making sure that people know that they have agency within this political system. Because I do think that governments don't tell us that because they don't want us to know how it really works. So we can sit complacent and feel disempowered and feel like we don't have agency within the issues, not realizing we are the ones that employ them. You know, and I think when we start to realize that a lot more, we will start seeing the change that we need because this isn't a political issue. This is an issue to the right to life. You know, this is an issue about our well-being on this earth. You know, I don't think that politics should make it a left or right issue or, you know, like convolute it in lots of terms that make it like understand like ununderstandable and detached from humanity this is basically saying do you like breathing clean air do you like eating food do you like drinking clean water if you like any of those above you need to start caring for the climate you know it's a, it's it's how we sustain life on this earth oh, true true i i totally we agree with you um now tell me again about running for uh the mep what again is, is mep if, if you want to uh start from there and then tell me about your um journey into you know that race mm, so um so an mep is a member of the european parliament um so that's kind of what i ran for um and that basically gives you a seat at the eu parliament and um and i think that's really it all kind of started 19 years old <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> that's that's the point isn't it <laughs> and you think like to be honest it did all start kind of as a little bit of like a off the whim joke of where um the co-founder one of the co-founder of roger of extinction rebellion in the uk mm-hmm. we were just talking about you know political action and this kind of thing and then he asked whether i would like to run for parliament and i went fuck yeah that was my instant response Um, little did I know (laughs) that that would actually become a reality and I would do it Um, and when you know like it was quite a 
a bit of spare of the moment situation. Within a couple of days, I was on the ballot paper. And I started to sit down and think, what do I want this to look like? What do I feel that is missing from politicians and the way they act? And I felt that it was this lack of connection to community that they're meant to be serving that made me feel really uncomfortable. It was this lack of diversity and inclusion of marginalised and underserved communities. Um, and it was this lack of global perspective and also the lack of telling the truth. Um, so that was the grounds that I ran on. I wanted to make sure that all these things that I felt that you know the the establishment and the current political candidates were not fulfilling i wanted to find a way to fulfill it through a campaign that was very different to any other political campaign ever but this but campaign included grassroots some lessons i mean in that process there are some lessons you learned and uh, would you still give it another shot well the lessons i learned was the fact that democracy even though from the outside it looks like it's working it's not working you know there's a lot of money in democracy there's a lot of um like lobbying in democracy there's a lot of less like less accessibility to the average person in democracy which i feel is really wrong um and there was a lot of faults of the political system that i'd never seen in practice that i feel like need to be addressed after running and would i run again yeah and do you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna bring a bunch of <laughs> fresh 19 to 20 to 18 year olds to run with me and I think this is the future of democracy it's everyone saying I have a stake in my society and I should be heard not just as a voting party but as a candidate too and I should represent especially with young people I should represent young people in parliament um, like I think the youngest person in the European parliament right now is around 27 years old and that means that from their voting age of where you're actually allowed to run at 18 right round to 27, you've got a group, a large, almost a decade, a generation of people who are unrepresented in our democratic bodies. Absolutely. And this is wrong, mm. you know? And I think that what we need to do is we need to start addressing all the diversity and inclusion issues and get working class people into parliament, get black people into parliament, get young people into parliament and start making our parliament look a bit more like our country great i mean those are very important lessons and i think at the end of the day sometimes it's about the lessons we learn on the journey we take you know mm. uh, this second half of the conversation i want to i mean in your introduction you talked about the work you i mean your interest in marginalized community and i know your mother has a very strong influence in you well, I also knew you were yeah. influenced her when it comes to climate action, <laughs> but generally, I know that your mom has very strong influence uh, in your life. And being a Nigerian, I mean, your mom is a Nigerian, right? Yeah. That was one of the reasons why I thought, oh, then it will be good to to, to hear your story. Uh, <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about, you know, your mother's influence in your life? And does that really have any... Um, contribution to your 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 zeal to work around marginalized community or for marginalized or vulnerable people 
Yeah, I think my mum is like my biggest inspiration. My mum grew up in the Delta region in Nigeria and she experienced poverty and she experienced a lot of things in her life. And she still managed to come to the UK and make a better life for us. You know, like I've had the pleasure of having a really amazing education, having so many opportunities that my mum could only wish for when she was younger. And her like grit and, and sturdiness and like, basically like you know this like really gritty optimism that the world will be better for future generations and what she ingrained in me that I should act as in service of my community um I think it's something that stays with me and will stay with me forever um my mom she owns a restaurant in London and she's created this from you know nothing and it's just so inspiring and especially like when it comes to the climate, it's that link back to our land. You know, I, I feel like, especially as someone who is, you know, Nigerian, but also living in like diaspora communities, um, there is this kind of like lack of link to the land and to the environment. I feel like a lot of ethnic minorities abroad feel a disconnect. But I remember when I first went back to my village um, when I was a bit older in Nigeria and feeling this real connection to the ancestral land that was there, I knew that this was something I wanted to protect forever. And hearing about, you know, the like the disasters that happen in uh, near to Delta, whether it's oil spills and how this affects communities, makes me angry and makes me want to do something, especially when you start looking at the colonial weavings of knowing how much countries like the US and the UK have played a hand in ecocide in Africa. Hmm. So, I mean, listening to you right now, I, I am nursing the thoughts of, how, you know, over there in the UK, it's very easy to get people to believe in the science. It's very easy to, mm. you know, let people understand that, hey, politics can really shape things. But it feels like a very different ballgame, I mean, in developing country, Nigeria, for example. Mm. And, I mean, no one wants to listen to you saying science and 1.5 and UNF chip dragons. <laughs> no one cares. So, I yeah. mean, we have, thoughts around, we have thoughts around how we could really uh, break down this entire concept of climate change such that people in developing countries can understand it clearly and can now begin to hold their leaders responsible to deliver. Mm, I feel that like, I feel that when I'm talking about climate change, because even like, to be honest, like there's a vast population in the UK of where 1.5 degrees does not mean anything to anyone, you know? <laughs> so I don't think it's just something that's happening in the global south or in the developing world. But I feel that it's making sure that people understand what does this mean? What is going to be the effects of climate change on our lives? And especially in the global south, you're already feeling climate change. You're already experiencing it and understanding the unjustness that it wasn't the global South who caused this issue. Mm-hmm. I think there should be more anger coming out of Africa, in all honesty. Um, <laughs> and I do think that um, when we start to allow people to find ways to connect to the land is the most important thing. Because I know, like, you know, like I interviewed my mom a couple of weeks ago for an independent, like, article in the UK. And when we spoke about environment, my mom felt that she didn't know enough to have the conversation with me. But when I just asked her about 
when she grew up, how my grandma had a garden of where she grew all her herbs that she would use in her soups. Um, and hearing my mom talk about whenever my grandma would go and cook on Sundays, how all of her siblings would go out and go and, you know, get the yam and get the different flavors and get the different herbs and bring it inside. Like even just seeing the joy that that memory brought to her reminds her of how much she cares about the environment. And we need to understand that if we don't take care of the environment, those kinds of memories will not be ones that we can pass down or have our younger generations experience. You know, and I think when you start, especially with like, you know, looking into indigenous cultures, we talk about our elders and our elders coming together to make decisions, but they should have future generations in mind when they do that. You know, and I think there is something quite beautiful about um, getting people to connect to the environment in many different ways. And science doesn't need to be the only way. Fantastic. Ah, I mean, it feels like a whole lot has been said. Uh, and I love the practicality with which you've, um, you know, relayed this message. It's not like some, forgive me, old, boring man, you know, in suits and ties and some very... Speaking out of the big English. And that's, I mean, that's what I enjoy the most about having conversations like this with young people like you. And mm. it's really been inspiring. And I really hope this can also inspire a lot more people out there to understand the impact, to understand the need for urgency, and to know that, like you, just one meeting can change, you know, your perception about important issues like climate change. Exactly. That shouldn't be the stop. It should also, you know, inspire you to then go out there and you know you know push out the message and see that you can inspire tens hundreds maybe thousands of exactly. other people out there i'm wondering if you have any other uh pattern thoughts to share any other th- interesting thing you think you want us to know yeah i think i think especially like being an african i think that we have a lot to ask of the world you know especially with like the history of slavery and colonialism we need to start linking it to climate change and understand it's like we are in every right to ask the west to stop fucking our planet <laughs> you I know agree. they agree. owe us I agree with your friends too. <laughs> exactly they, they owe us you know and i think this is where we need to start getting the hold of our democracies especially in places like africa where you know i talk to my aunties and my cousins and they're saying how everything's so corrupt you know everyone is you know try everyone's in bed with each other everyone's stealing money and when we need to start going actually how can we make our democracies in our countries better and how can we start to have governments that think of people before they think of profits before they think of themselves you know and i do think that when we start linking this like colonial behavior of use abuse throw away when we start to recognize this happening in our society and the way we treat each other and correcting that behavior we'll get a lot done and a lot further as well in our fight to end climate change Totally agree. Thank you very much, Days. Thank you so, so much. I really do appreciate uh, you. <laughs> you taking out the time just after this walk and, you know, sharing with me these very strong uh, messages and very important points. <laughs> Thank you indeed. Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much, Days. You know, I feel dazed, by the way. (laughs) 
I was really inspired, you know, having this conversation with Days. And I really do hope you, the listener, feel inspired, educated, and empowered also to do something about the issues of climate change. You know, like we said, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be something ambitious. It doesn't have to be something that takes all your money. And it could start with just something little, the most insignificant of things. You never can tell. I will go on thinking about this, you know, the lessons from this conversation. And I really do hope you find it worthy of sharing with your network, with your friends, with your families, people in your contacts, so they can also know that, hey, there is a role to be played. And anyone, everyone, everywhere has a part to play. Thank you so much. Again, feel free to check out the website. It's climatetalkpodcast.com. Uh, feel free to find previous episodes of the Climate Talk podcast on all every other platforms where you find your podcast and feel free to share this uh, with your network. If you want to write me, you got questions for me, you want to be on the podcast or whatsoever reasons you want to write me, my email is shei at climatetalkpodcast.com. Shei is spelled S-E-Y-I at climatetalkpodcast.com. I'll be glad to read from you and I will very much respond uh, to your notes when I get it. But until we get to do this again, until I get to bring to you another episode of the Climate Talk podcast, keep taking climate action, keep making the world a better place.